We're continuing a series tonight called Money God's Way. We're talking about how to handle money, not Pastor Ryan's way, not Dave Ramsey's way, but God's way. And that's really what matters. And I'm gonna talk tonight about one of the most important spiritual disciplines that I think a Christian can really partake in. A spiritual discipline, in case you're not sure, is an intentional behavior with a supernatural benefit. So an example would be like choosing to read the Bible on an ongoing basis. It's not just for educational purposes, but it's for transformational purposes. Uh, or, or praying, praying and talking to God. You're not trying to get God to do what you wanna do and change him, but you're trying to become who God wants you to be and be change, right? Another example of a spiritual discipline is worshiping God like we just did. That's something that blesses God, but it also blesses you as you worship him. You know that? And then I want to talk about one tonight that I think is really misunderstood, but so important, and that's tithing. You hear the word tithe in church oftentimes, but a lot of people don't really understand what it's about, and people wonder, like, do I even really need to do that as a Christian? So I'm going to answer that question tonight. Should Christians tithe. Now, whenever I talk about this subject, there's always a variety of very common recurring responses. Okay, so any kind of response that you might be feeling right now and and that you might have tonight, I've seen before, and you're not the first person. Here's the first common response. It's, I totally agree. Absolutely. 100%, I I believe in it. I've experienced God's goodness and blessing in my life. I couldn't imagine not tithing. I was telling. (laughs) I love the 430 service. I told Amy this week, you know, it's so funny after, you know, all my life growing up in church, being a pastor, never once have I met someone who's like, you know, 13 years later, I'm not so sure this tithing thing is working out for me. Like no one ever says that. Uh, I I talked about this on Facebook this week and one person in our church, she said, uh, tithing is the best thing my family has ever done. We have been blessed in so many ways. My marriage is stronger. We communicate better. Our finances are in order. We're almost out of debt. My kids are happier. We have a nicer home to raise our kids in. And she goes on to just say, the blessings keep coming. I love that. And there's so many people with a testimony like that. One thing I've been encouraging our church to do, it kind of gets into the nuts and bolts of it a little bit, but it's what I do, is I would encourage you, if you're able, to set up automatic recurring giving. And I do that because I can be forgetful like anybody, and, and I can forget if, I, if I'm not careful to take care of things. So I like to use automated bill pay when I can, because I, I don't want Verizon calling me saying, you know, your service has been shut off. Like, oh, I forgot to pay that bill. And so what I do is I definitely don't want to forget God. <laughs> How much more do I not want to forget God? So much. So I set up in it, I decide in advance that, you know, every time I get paid, the first and the 15th, that tithe is the first thing that comes out of my bank account. And some people are like, well, is that spiritual, you know, if you do it like that? And I think it is because you're deciding in advance that you're going to prioritize this thing in your life. I think it's very spiritual. And actually, I'm encouraging our church to do this. If you sign up for regular recurring giving like that, just as a way of like encouraging you, I'm gonna send you one of my favorite books as a gift in the mail. And I'd be, I think it'll bless you and just be a way of saying thanks for being a part of what God's doing here. So people say, I absolutely, I totally agree. Here's the second response I hear. I didn't know any of this. I never heard any of this before. Maybe you grew up in a church where they're like, you should just give because it's the right thing to do. And they didn't really explain it. 
Or, or maybe you're new to being a Christian and you've never heard any of the stuff that we're gonna talk about tonight. A lot of people, they have no idea how finances in a church work. And, and some people are like, well, I don't need to know, I trust you. I'm like, well, I appreciate that, but you would trust us even more if you knew how it worked. Here's a, here's a little bit of just an overview, because I know some people, this will put you to sleep, but here's an overview. People give, and then we have a budget that we've created, you know, me, our executive pastors, our church board of directors, elected uh, volunteers, approve the budget. Another thing that, that this might be helpful for some of you to know this, uh, they actually also approve my compensation based on a national survey of churches like ours and what's average for a pastor, okay? So that's how that gets set. Some people didn't know that I found out. They thought I was getting like tips or a commission or something. I'm not getting paid on commission. I'm working on the great commission. <laughs> that was a terrible pastor joke. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not getting a new boat if you get generous, you know. Uh, that's not how it works. And then um, our church board approves any kind of debt that the church takes out. Uh, we, we voluntarily hold ourselves to an even higher standard than we have to legally. So like we get our finances reviewed and audited by outside CPAs and accountant firms. We make sure that we use money the way we tell people that we're gonna use it. Because one thing I know as a pastor is that people are sensitive about money. And if they get the sense that they can't trust their church with money, it is game over. So we are not messing around with that. Um, I always think about this. I'm like, is there any way that any of this could ever look shady? And if it could, I don't want to do it because I, I do not want to let you down. I don't want to disappoint you, but even more, I'm more afraid of letting God down and disappointing him. I don't want to ever misuse God's money. I'm more scared of him than I am of you. <laughs> so People are like, I didn't know any of this. And, and here's the biblical reason that we, we do tithe. It says this in Deuteronomy 14. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored and eat it there in his presence. I want to explain this. I think this is a fun verse that kind of gives us a good overview of tithing. It says it's a tithe, it's one-tenth. A tithe is one-tenth, okay? And then they talk about crops, and, and for them, that was their livelihood. They were farmers, they were raising livestock, and so you probably don't do that, but for us, that would be our increase. It would be like a paycheck, probably. And, and then it says, you, you, every time you harvest, so it was each year, it wasn't just like a one-time thing. You know, God, thank you for saving me. I'm gonna give this one time, and then that's it. It was each year on an ongoing basis. Every time the harvest came in, they tithed. So every time that my paycheck comes in, I tithe. Okay, and then they say, bring it to the designated place of worship. My tithe needs to come to the right place. And this day, there was a temple. In our day, it's your local church. Wherever you call church, that's your church. That's the designated place of worship. So you bring the whole tithe to the place of worship. You, you don't split it up and divide it and send it out to different places that you want to send it. Because it's not yours to divide. You don't send a little bit to Caleb and a little bit to your social media influencers you follow and a little bit to your church. The whole tithe goes to the place of worship. That's the place the Lord chooses for his name to be honored. And tithing is one of the ways that we honor his name. 
And then I want to explain this. It says, eat it there in his presence. What's that talking about? Well, back in this day, when they brought their tithe, a portion of it would get set aside for the priests to fund the operation of the temple. And then another portion would get put on the altar and burned as a sacrifice, as an offering to God. So like the smoke would come up off the, the altar and it would be like a pleasing aroma to God. And then they, they're actually, you gotta think about it, they're putting like grain and oil and meat on this altar. It was like they were having the original church barbecue. And then they would actually eat a portion of it there at the temple with their families. It's like having a, a meal with God, a communion meal with God. You see that pattern right there? That's pretty cool. Uh, so their own tithe nourished them. Their giving fed them. Do you see how this works? Your giving to your church is what funds the ministry that feeds you. It's like you're buying the groceries and bringing it to God and he's gonna cook a meal and feed your soul with it. And I know there are people you might be like, well, I don't get that much out of church. And it might be because you're not putting much into it. And so some people are like, you're like, I didn't know any of this. And what that really means, think about this. Think about how much the people in this church love you, right? They've been picking up the check for your meal because they love you. And you know why they do it? Because someone else did it for them so that you could learn and grow and know the Lord. And now that you do know the, the truth and what's right biblically, you can contribute to the ministry that feeds you. Here's another common response I hear. So I don't think I can do that. I wish I could, but I don't think I can. And there are some people that maybe they're stuck in their finances and they just can't imagine living on less than they do already. And this is where I, I gotta have, have you understand the supernatural implications of tithing. It never results in less, it always results in more. And I've said this before and I'll keep saying it until it's not true anymore. 90% with God's blessing will always go further than 100% without God's blessing. It always goes further with God's blessing on it. People get scared sometimes, and I want to give you just some encouragement if you're struggling with finances and this idea of giving sounds scary to you. One, you can listen to the sermon from last week, had a lot of biblical wisdom about getting on a plan and paying off debt and saving. Uh, I would encourage you to go to Financial Peace University. If your finances are a hot mess, you need to go to Financial Peace University and get on a structured plan to pay off debt and get your finances in order because God wants your finances to be a source of blessing in your life, not a burden. And then... If you're scared, if you're worried about money, I just want to encourage you, stop worrying and trust God. Stop worrying and trust God. It says in Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. This passage is about money, and Jesus says, don't worry about your basic needs because your Father in heaven knows what you need. It'd be one thing if you were worried and you didn't know God as your Father. It'd be okay to worry if you didn't know God as your Father, but because you put your faith in Jesus and God has become your Father, he loves you, he knows what you need, and he also has the ability to provide everything you need, and he will. I haven't had one member of our church in the years I've been a lead pastor starve to death. 
It's, ne it's never happened. God just keeps providing for their needs. And that's what he does. He loves us. He's good like that. I know it can be scary at times, but think about this, right? Think about what you've already trusted God to do. How are you gonna trust God to save your eternal soul but not meet your earthly needs? He's gonna save my soul from hell, but I'm not gonna trust him to put food on the table? That's easy for him. That's nothing. He can do it. And, and we wanna help you in this. If you're someone that this idea is a struggle for you, we wanna help you. We wanna come alongside you and help you take that step of faith. So what we do is a 90-day tithe challenge. Because I know some of you are like, man, I really wanna do this, but I just don't know if I can and I'm scared. If you sign up for the 90-day tithe challenge, what you do is you say, I'm gonna do this, and you give, you tithe for 90 days. And at the end of that, if you don't feel like God blessed you, if you don't feel like he took care of you, like he provided for you, like he was good to you, then come back to us and we will return the money that you gave. So what we're doing is we're making it so you can't lose. You got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Trust the Lord. And then here's the fourth response. This is the one I'm gonna spend the most time on. It's I don't have to. I hear what you're saying, Pastor Ryan, but I disagree with your analysis and interpretation of the Bible, and I don't believe I have to. This is how people respond sometimes. They'll say, man, I'm a Christian, and tithing is part of the law, it's part of the Old Testament, and I'm saved by grace, so that doesn't apply to me. I can understand people being skeptical. We should ask questions. We shouldn't just take everything that we're taught without asking any questions. Because unfortunately, there are a lot of shady dudes in this world who have taken advantage of people. And there are different pastors who, man, they want to they wanna teach what's true, but pastors are people, and people aren't perfect. People make mistakes. And so it's possible to read the true eternal word of God, but interpret it improperly and apply it to your life improperly. So you got to go back to what does the Bible say? Not what did someone tell me, not what did Pastor Ryan tell me, but what does the Bible say? And you got to look at the evidence in the Bible all throughout it, and then you can draw a conclusion about what should I do? What's right? And I want to talk about that tonight. I believe that tithing is a spiritual practice that has supernatural benefits. It did before the Old Testament law. It did after the Old Testament law, and it still does today. Before Jesus, after Jesus, and still today. I'll show you some examples of this from the Bible. So let me start by building a case. I'm gonna build a case. Right and wrong existed before the law. Okay, so God gave the Old Testament law to Moses about 2,000 years after he created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel. It says in Genesis chapter four, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops, say some. I want you to remember that, some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best, say the best. The best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Now watch what God does. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. Think about this. This is crazy. God accepted Abel and his gift, but not Cain and his gift. Why? It's because Cain gave some, but Abel gave the best, the first portion. Cain gave a tip. 
Abel gave a tithe. God is not honored by a tip or some or leftovers. God is honored by the first portion and the best portion because he's God and he can only be in first place in your life. So you have to ask yourself this though. That doesn't seem fair, right? How was Cain supposed to know that it wasn't good enough to just give some? Because the law hadn't been given yet. So how was he supposed to know? Well, here's what we know. Romans 2 says, God's law is written on our hearts. And it talks about how our conscience tells us that certain things are just right and certain things are just wrong. There are some things that we know are right. Like Abel, he just knew in his heart that it was right to honor God with the first portion of everything that he had and the best portion of everything that he had because the law of God was written on his heart. And so he gave the first and the best. Now watch what happens. Same chapter, okay, a couple verses later, verse eight, it says, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. So look at this. The first murder in human history happened because of tithing, because of giving. Now you know why pastors don't like talking about this. Because <laughs> people get crazy when you talk about money. When you talk about giving. Is that, people get mad. But look, look at this. Cain killed his brother. And God said, that's wrong. And he punished him and he banished him from his presence. But I point this out because the law of Moses had not been given yet. The law came later and said, thou shall not kill. That's not murder. But here God is already punishing Cain for committing murder. How, how is that fair if the law had not been given yet? It's because God's law is written on our hearts. I don't need the law to tell me murder is wrong. And I don't need the law to tell me that tithing is right. Because God's law is written on our hearts. Some things are just right and some things are just wrong. So tithing was right before the Old Testament law. That's one example. Here's another example. Genesis 14. Melchizedek, the first priest of God, blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. So Abram gave God's priest a tenth, a tithe, of all the goods he recovered in battle, his increase, his bounty that he captured. So, so, so think about this. Why did he do that? The law of Moses had not been given yet. The old covenant law had not been established yet. Here is Abram giving a tenth to God. Why? Not because he was commanded to. He didn't do it because a TV evangelist told him that if he did it, he'd get a thousand times back in return. He did it because he was grateful. He didn't do it to earn God's blessing. He did it because God had already blessed him. He already won victory in battle. He had already been blessed by God. He just wanted to show God how grateful he was. And this is how you do that. So he does this before the law. And here's what's so interesting to me. We as Christians living in New Testament under the new covenant of grace, we have even more to be grateful for than Abraham. We have the full gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the Bible. 
We have the Holy Spirit living inside of each one of us, leading us into truth. So we have even more reason to be grateful givers. Now, if that's all that we knew about giving, it might still be kind of uncertain, a little bit cloudy. So God explains it further. Tithing is reinforced and explained by the Old Testament law. That's kind of a theme of the law. It just explains what God wants in vivid detail, (laughs) explicitly and clearly what he wants. Here's an example, Deuteronomy 14. Now, when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship he chooses for his name to be honored might be too far for you to bring the tithe. If so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds, put the money in a pouch, and go to the place the Lord your God has chosen. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drink. Hey, party! Then feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household. And if you do this, it says, then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. So this passage kind of reinforces the same principle, but it's funny. It breaks it down. It's like when you have a good harvest, when when you've been especially blessed, it might be too far for you to carry that sheep all the way to the temple. So God's like, you can sell it and then you can walk to the temple with your money. You can buy a sheep back and then you can, you can get game on, right? It's like God's breaking it down, making it real practical for him. But it all boils down to then celebrate with your household. It's not supposed to be something like, oh, I have to tithe? Gosh. It's supposed to be a celebration. And it says, God will bless you in all your work. So why should I do this, Pastor Ryan? Well, do you want God to bless you in all your work or not? It's, it's just, it's a simple question. And then this happens in the wisdom literature of Proverbs. It talks about it in the prophets all throughout the Old Testament. It's reinforced and repeated. I could, I could show you 20 examples just again and again and again. I'll show you one more. Malachi chapter three it says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Take the 90 day tithe challenge. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe. So not only does God say, I'm gonna bless you, but he says, I'm gonna protect you. I will guard you. And it's easy to see God's blessing, especially in your finances. Some of you have experienced this. You've experienced God's blessing in your finances. You saw the raise happen. You saw the 401k get bigger, right? And you're like, oh man, God has blessed me so much. But what's harder to see is God's protection. It's harder to, in fact, you can't always know the times that God has protected you and your household. You don't even know the time that God stopped your air conditioning unit from breaking down when you didn't have any money left in the bank. You don't even know the time God kept you from getting sick when other people were getting sick. You don't even know the time that God kept you from getting laid off when other people were getting laid off, right? His protection and his provision is there. And so some of you are like, well, I've still had bad things happen in my life. Well, how much worse would it have been without God's protection, right? And other people are like, well, I'm doing just fine on my own. Well, how much better would it be with God's provision and his blessing? I want you to be blessed like this. So again and again, this happens. 
but it kind of boils down to this. Okay, fine, I understand, Pastor Ryan, that's what the Old Testament says, but I'm a Christian and I live under the new covenant of grace. So I'm not sure that this applies to me. So I wanna just put this out there for all the Bible scholars. I'll start out by asking you a question. Does God's grace raise the standard or lower the standard? Does God's grace result in him expecting more or less from us? Think about that. I'm gonna show you the new covenant of grace requires more because God has given us more. I think this is super powerful. This is where it clicks and you can understand how to think about giving and tithing as a New Testament Christian who's saved by grace. I'll show you the evidence, Matthew chapter five. You have heard it said, Jesus talking, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago in Old Testament times in the law of Moses, you shall not murder. That's one of the 10 commandments, right? But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Did he just raise the standard or lower the standard? Okay, well, here's the next example. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery in the Old Testament law of Moses. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Did he raise the standard or lower the standard? He raised the standard. See this pattern? Murder was wrong before the law. The law confirmed that murder was wrong. And then Jesus, under the new covenant of grace, raises the standard. And he says, I don't just want you to not murder. I want you to love one another. He raises the standard. Tithing was right before the law. The law explained it and conferred it and then applied this thinking to money, right? I don't just want you to tithe because you have to. I want you to give generously as God leads you above and beyond with a joyful heart. And some people are like, well, well raising the standard, that sounds that sounds like a burden, but it's not. It's not like a, a burden that you have to live up to. God's covenant of grace, the grace that comes from God isn't, isn't resulting in a burden, but rather it's empowering you to live up to your full potential in Christ. That's what grace does. It lets us do more because we've received more. Rather than just giving because the law commands us, God's grace transforms us into givers. So then we see a lot of this playing out throughout the New Testament, throughout Jesus' life specifically. We'll start there. Jesus endorsed giving tithes and offerings to the institutions that God established, through the institutions that God established. So in the Old Testament times, it was the temple of Solomon. In Jesus' time, it was the temple of King Herod. In our time, it's the local church that Jesus has established. So People might wonder like, well, why do I have to give through the local church? Well, that's kind of how it's always been. And Jesus endorsed that. He, he does not preach against that. He approves of that. And, and I'll show you an example in Mark chapter 12. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. How nervous would you be giving your tithes and offerings if Jesus was watching? <laughs> Right? I'd be like, did I get it right down to the right penny? Because <laughs> I don't want to shortchange God. I'd be like, is this enough, Jesus? Yes? Is this right? I'd be nervous. And so look, many rich people put in large amounts. 
Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. They gave some. But she, poor as she is, has given everything. Everything she had to live on. Right, so here's Jesus watching the giving of tithes and offerings at the temple. And he doesn't discourage it. He doesn't say, No, no, don't give to the temple. All the temple wants is your money. He didn't say to this woman, he didn't say, no, don't give. You're too poor to give. No, but he he is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. He said, look at these guys. They just gave some. But this woman, she gave everything. And here's what's so powerful. Here's Here's a biblical truth. God doesn't actually ask you to give him everything, every dollar in your account. He doesn't ask you to do that. Why he asks us to tithe is because in the Bible, one-tenth, a tithe, is representative of the whole. There are other places this plays out in scripture. There's a place where God wants to punish his people, and so what he does is he punishes one-tenth of them. It is a way of symbolizing that he punished everyone. The numbers are, they often repeat themselves like that. So a tithe, it represents the totality of everything that you have. So when you give God that first 10% in God's eyes, symbolically, it's like you're saying, God, everything I have, I place in your hands. You're Lord over all of my life. All of my finances, I surrender to you. And Jesus loves that. And he still does today. Here's what we see. We see Jesus let people give to fund his own ministry. It says in Luke chapter 8, soon after Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So I want to point this out. It wasn't the disciples that were given to Jesus' ministry. It was these women. These women were the ones funding Jesus' ministry. That's pretty cool, right? Who runs the world? Girls. Who runs the world? Girls, right? These girls. They made it happen. They were the ones making it happen. I think that's so cool. But you have to ask yourself, why did Jesus let these women give to fund his ministry? He was the son of God. He had a direct line to God in heaven. He could have been like, yo, God, I need some money in my account. And God could have made it rain gold coins from heaven. So why did he let these women give? Because those who support the ministry share in the miracle. He let them give for their sake. And he lets us give today so that we can be a part of the miracle. So we can share in the blessing that comes from partnering with God. I love that. And then I want, to see, I want to show you this. Jesus said we should tithe. Matthew 23. He says, you should tithe. Yes. End of sermon. <laughs> in the English Standard Version, he says, you ought to, this you ought to do. In the King James Version, he says, this ought ye to do. (laughs) 
but do not neglect the more important things. So look what he's saying. Yeah, that's great. Do that. You should do that. But that's not the finish line. That's the starting point. God wants to do even greater things in you. And what I love about tithing, the reason I call it a spiritual discipline is because I've seen this in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. There's something about it, especially for certain types of personalities. It unlocks your ability to grow in other areas of your faith. So God isn't calling you just to tithe and then sit around. But he wants you to do even greater things, to live for him, to make a difference in this world, to show people mercy and love and live in righteousness. So I see Jesus clearly laying it out. And man, there's some people that act like he never said that, (laughs) but he did. (laughs) He could have been like, you know, you don't need to do that. That's the Old Testament. No, but Jesus came to fulfill the law. And he allows us to fulfill our full potential in Christ. Okay, so I'm bringing it now to this point. Uh, Jesus, who has set us free from sin and saved us by God's grace, has he done all this so we can do less than the law required or more? So we can live even beyond what the law required. Well, look at what happened with the early church. How did the early Christians give? What did they do, right? Think about it. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. They're celebrating. What did they say about giving? We don't have to give anymore. Yay! <laughs> More for me. No, that's not what they did. Acts chapter two, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was a guy named Joseph. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. He didn't just bring a tithe. He brought all the money. People were giving extravagantly, generously, sacrificially, ridiculously. That's how they were giving. Now that they had seen Jesus alive, And they had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. So I wanted you to see the full picture from the very beginning, then what we see in the law, then what we see Jesus doing with money, and then what we see the early church doing. And it brings us now down to this point where it's like, you read the New Testament. If you come away from it thinking that God has called you to give less than a tithe, you might want to go back and read it again. Because he didn't save you by grace so that you could do less than what the law required. Besides, you could go beyond what the law required. We don't have to tithe. We get to. Right? And people get confused about this. They'll say, you know, well, that was part of the law, and I'm saved by grace. Tithing isn't about salvation. We are saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. But when we tithe today, it's a spiritual principle that still today results in the same blessing. Do you think God was going to bless people for tithing in the Old Testament and then stop blessing them when they keep giving like that in New Testament times? No, he is the same. And he feels the same about people that give with a joyful, willing heart. So God has brought you to this point. He has sets you free from selfishness and sin, which allows you to be more like Jesus. And I'm gonna close with this. In Galatians 3, 24, the apostle Paul writes, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. 
So people talk about the law sometimes like it was all bad, but it really wasn't. It was a part of God's grace. That's why in John, when it says Jesus came with grace upon grace, it's actually talking about Jesus' grace coming on top of the grace of the law that came through Moses. The law wasn't bad. It was our guardian. It protected us. And when it comes to giving, the law commanded people to tithe because that protected them from their own sin, their own selfishness, their own greed. But now that Jesus has come and he has saved us by God's grace and he has placed his spirit inside of us and transformed us into the image of his son, that means that we can live in a whole new way, right? We have been transformed. We no longer give because we have to. We give because Jesus has changed us into givers because that's what he is. We're becoming conformed into the image of the son of God and becoming like him and doing what he did. So when we give, we look more like Jesus, Jesus, who gave everything, who laid his life down on the cross, who allowed his veins to be open for us. He paid the price for our sins so that we could be free. He gave everything. And what greater love is there than this, than to lay down your life for a friend? This is how much God loved us. He gave his son. Jesus gave his life. He gave us freedom. And so now today, we don't have to give. No, we get to give. We get to. And we're grateful, we're grateful that we have this opportunity. So I'm praying, church, for you as you receive this message. Sometimes you hear a message on a subject like this, and for some of you it might make you uncomfortable, but what I've found in my own life is that when something like this makes me uncomfortable, it's because God wants to do something transformational inside of me. There's something he wants to work on me. He wants to do some surgery on my heart, and he wants to set me free from some things that might have been holding me back. And so I'm praying, if that's you, that God will help you to grow in your faith. And I'm praying that if you're struggling with finances and you feel worried about it, that God will give you peace and that you'll experience his provision in your life. And then if there's anyone here who says, I want to receive the gift of salvation that comes by God's grace, then let's give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's just bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And if you say, man, I want to receive Jesus, I want to be saved by God's grace, then pray this prayer with me. Just say, God, I need you to save me. I need your forgiveness. But I believe Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for my sins so that I could be forgiven. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the grave so that I could have eternal life and victory. And I'm gonna trust Jesus to save me. I thank you, God, for loving me and for leading me. And I wanna follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't God good? Let's give him praise today. He's so good.